All right, you can turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to continue through uh, our series in the book and just take about 25 minutes here uh, to walk through a passage of Scripture with you. Uh, Of course, this morning, um, we begin working through the Corinthian problem in marriage. Uh, Some were renouncing intimacy in marriage, and Paul had uh, good counsel for them, helped walk them through that issue. Tonight, we have two more questions uh, to answer, and we'll see how far we get in them in the next 25 minutes or so. Um, as we look at this passage, uh, the title, again, uh, is, or the idea is, this is marriage counseling from the Apostle Paul. So this is like a free marriage conference seminar. Okay, well, actually, it's not free. Like, you gave grace gifts for it. But other than that, it's kind of like free. By the way, if you need a handout, I see the guy standing in the back. You can just lift your hand, and they'll, they'll get you one of these if those are helpful to you. Uh, but so this is free marriage counseling from the Apostle Paul. We're taking three sermons to kind of walk through some important texts. And he's answering some questions, right? In chapter 7 and verse 1, he says, Now concerning wherever the things you wrote unto me in a letter. And then he lists something that the Corinthians said. And then he begins to answer their statements or questions. When we get down to chapter 7 and verses 7 through 9, there's a second question I think Paul is answering, and there is a blank in your notes you want to fill in there uh, to be able to to capture what is going on in verses 7 through 9. The second question that the Corinthians had posed to the Apostle Paul, I feel that he's answering in verses 7 through 9, is uh, this question. If I am single, should I get married? It's a simple question. It's kind of loaded in that there are different types of single people the, Christian, or the Corinthians were thinking about. But that's how I would summarize verses 7 through 9. If I'm single, should I get married? And so let's look at verse 7. Paul says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. In verse 7 here, Paul starts by discussing his own gift from God in his own condition of singleness. Um, And he says that it's his desire at this particular time that if people can handle singleness, that they would remain single as their better option. Um, Of course, I think that the scriptures, and Paul here in particular, teach that both singleness and marriage are gifts from God and callings from God. I mean, if you look in verse 7, he says, each one has his own gift from God. I think he's talking about some people are gifted for singleness and some people are not gifted for singleness, they're gifted for marriage. And so um, Paul uh, establishes that for us here. It reminds me of Christ earlier in the Gospels, Christ made a statement in Matthew chapter 19 about divorce and remarriage. And uh, his statement about divorce was so restrictive that the disciples themselves reply or answer in Matthew 19 that if, if Jesus, if your views are so strict regarding divorce and remarriage, then people should never get married ever. That's kind of like the disciples' response. And uh, I think the reason the disciples respond that way is because Jesus is so strict in his views of, you know, when can a believer ever pursue a divorce? 
And so the disciples say, well, if that's the case and there's no way out, then people should never get married ever. <laughs> it's like their answer. And, but then Jesus responds by saying this to the disciples in Matthew 19, not everyone can receive that saying of yours. So basically he's suggesting to the disciples, it's not a good idea for some of you to remain single because God hasn't gifted you and called you to that particular sort of life. And so in verse seven, Paul talks about his own status or gift of singleness that God had given to him. Paul's own lifestyle was not conducive for a married person. When you think of the things that Paul went through, itinerant travel, difficult work, constant danger, mocking, ridicule, beatings, frequent imprisonments. There's probably a reason why Paul the Apostle chose not to be married. But Paul's gift of singleness involved his ability to suppress some of his natural drives so that Anthony Thistleton says it resulted that, uh, it, with the result that his creative energies were poured forth into the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ to great effect. So it seems like what Paul is saying here is that celibacy or singleness is a special gift that God gives to certain believers, which enables them to be devoted to the service of God. Paul says, I wish that in the case that he's dealing with in Corinth, that all people were like that, but he allows for either area of giftedness. Then as you go down into verse 8, it becomes uh, really clear what he's trying to do in this section and the answer he's trying to give. In verse 8, Paul quits talking about his own singleness, and he addresses those who are single in the church. If you look in verse 8, more specifically, he identifies two different types of people. You see it in your Bible. He says, widows, you see that? Look in your Bible, verse 8, widows and the unmarried. Okay, so to understand verses 8 and 9, it's really the key. The key is you've got to understand what does Paul mean by widows and unmarried? Who are they? I think the word widows is very transparent. It's very easy to understand. Widows refers to those people whose husbands have passed away. Okay, they've formally passed away. They're involved in a marriage and their spouse has passed away. And so Paul's counsel to them in light of some things going on in the city of Corinth and in light of uh, what he's going to say later on in the chapter about pursuing God and serving God, his counsel to widows in this text is for them to remain single if they're able to do so. But then he also includes the, the term unmarried. Who are the unmarried? I mean, if you, if you look at your handout, I give you a few possibilities or bullet points here. Okay, because there are a few ideas about who the unmarried are. First, some believe that with this term unmarried, Paul is speaking only of unmarried men. Okay, so you could write that down as a first bullet point. Unmarried might be unmarried men. And the reason why some people suggest that is because the actual term that's used here is a masculine term. Okay, so it's a masculine term. In, term. in, in Greek, the way a word ends sometimes is either feminine, masculine, or neuter. And this one is masculine. So some people say, well, when Paul says unmarried, he means all unmarried men. This would refer then to both bachelors and widowers. Okay. Um, but there are other views, and I think there's, there's probably a little better way to take this. Others believe that the word unmarried is referring only to widowers. Widowers. So this is like the natural... Uh, uh, you know, the, the natural fit with the term widows, widows and the unmarried or widowers, okay? One of the problems with that idea is that uh, there is a word for widowers 
And that's not the word Paul uses here. He uses a word unmarried in its place. And so finally, others think that the word unmarried just means that, any unmarried person. Okay, and I think that's probably the best way to take this. As a matter of fact, a little bit later on down in the text, in, um, uh, in, in uh, verses uh, 11 and then again in verse 34, Paul refers to women who have been divorced as being unmarried. And he uses the same word with the masculine ending. So there he's referring to divorced women as being in this category of being unmarried. So it seems like um, Paul might mean any unmarried person, any single person, either man or woman. This is, you know, I won't go through the whole list, but any unmarried person. And I think that's probably the best way to take this. So this word means any single divorced or widowed person. One of the objections to that view is just like no, you know, there's one right view, but one of the objections to that is that um, uh, it would seem then, you know, so then why does he say widows? He says, oh, unmarried, aren't widows part of the unmarried? And so, um, you know, why would he highlight widows in particular? I think he's doing something like this. He says, any unmarried person, especially widows or something like that. Okay, so as we're, as we're going through this part in the text, verse 8, Paul says, to the unmarried, I'm taking that as any unmarried person, and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. So Paul intends that any single person in the Corinthian church is to remain single as their best option. Again, we're not told why they should continue in singleness at this point, but their best choice is to do so unless they are incapable of remaining celibate. Okay, now we don't have the time to do this tonight, and in future sermons we'll do this, but if you look down into verses 25 through 38, Paul's going to give single people three or four reasons why they should consider remaining single as their best option. Okay, and some of this, these are timeless theological truths and concepts, and others seem to have to do, deal with something that's going on in the city of Corinth. So, for instance, as you start reading down through the text, he talks about a present distress that is going on in the city of Corinth. And so Paul says something like this, in light of the present distress that you are experiencing, it's good for single people to remain as they are, to remain single. Now, again, I'll talk to you Uh, more about that here, but Paul's point is any unmarried person or widowers, his advice to them, his counsel to them is remain single as your best option unless, unless the text says, gives this exception, unless um, you feel um, overwhelming, intense desires to the contrary. Okay, and this is that word burn that we see in the text here. And so uh, I think that Paul is answering a question in verses 7 through 9 from the Corinthian assembly. And the question is, if I'm single, if I find myself in a single state, should I get married? And Paul's answer is, at this time, if you can, remain single as your best option. If you cannot contain yourself, it's okay to get married. Okay, that leads us to uh, verses 10 through 16 and the third question. The third question. Uh, And the third question is this. 
Should I divorce my spouse? Should I divorce my spouse? That's how I summarize verses 10 through 16. And uh, in this section, we're going to consider just very quickly the concepts of divorce and remarriage. Okay, and they're, they're going to be in our text, and we're going to have to wrestle through this. Unfortunately, I would guess that just about every person in the assembly has been touched in some significant way by divorce and remarriage. And so I know that if I were to survey the congregation, I'm sure that we have all kinds of different experiences. As a matter of fact, when I used to teach this in Bible college, I'd actually ask questions, and then we would all see that everyone has been impacted by divorce and remarriage. And what I want to encourage you to do is to come to this text and try to figure out what the text says and means so that we can apply it consistently in our own lives, in the lives of those people that we counsel, and the lives of others within the assembly. And so I think that he's talking about divorce and remarriage in the text and that he presents two cases or scenarios in which some of the Corinthian believers were wondering if divorce was possible for them. Okay, so I call this marriage counseling from the Apostle Paul. Okay, and so he is dealing with two cases that the Corinthians had asked him about divorce and and or remarriage, and so I want to deal with those. Verses 10 and 11 is case one. I think you've got some blanks here, so pay close attention. Um, I think what Paul is saying is when someone becomes more desirable to you than your spouse, what do I do there? Can I pursue a divorce, Paul, if someone has become more desirable to me than my spouse? Verses 10 and 11, look at verse 10. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And the husband must not divorce his wife. I think that the overall point of these verses is that believers should not initiate divorce. This admonition here, um, uh, Paul says at the beginning, it does not come directly from him, but ultimately from Christ. Um, as I've had the, the chance to, to teach and preach through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I find a lot of people confused by, you know, starting in verse 10 and then working on down through the rest of the text. And one of the reasons why people are confused is because Paul will go back and forth and make these statements like in verse 10. Look at verse 10. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. That parenthesis there. So some people ask, what in the world is Paul saying here? Um, or you go down to verse 10. To the rest I say, I not the Lord. Okay, so Paul will at times in chapter 7 flip back and forth and say, I'm speaking now, Paul the Apostle, and at other times, he's saying, Jesus has something about this. Okay. Now, I think it's important to identify these in your Bible and to think through the text because Paul is not like saying, you know, what Jesus says is important and binding and is, a, is a command, but what I say is just like a suggestion. That's not what he's saying with these. What he's saying in each one of these texts is when he says, the Lord addresses this or the Lord says this, 
He is pointing to some Jesus tradition that he knows or is aware of where Jesus dealt with a particular case or issue that the Corinthians have a question about. So he says the Lord speaks here. He's talking about Jesus and whether he's thinking of a gospel or some other saying of Jesus that he's familiar with, he's saying Jesus dealt with this question. And then when he says that I'm speaking, not the Lord, what he means is as an apostle being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, although Jesus himself didn't address this question, I'm going to. Okay, and so I would encourage you to highlight these in your Bible and maybe just write yourself a little explanation about those. Verse 10, not I, but the Lord. This is Paul's counsel. It's a command from the Spirit of God. Verse 12, when he says, I, not the Lord. Um, or at verse 10, it was not I, but the Lord. That's Jesus speaking. Verse 12, I, not the Lord. This is Paul's command. Verse 25 Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment. Paul's not saying in verse 25, like, I've got nothing from God, but let me just intrude my own opinion here. That's not his point. He's just simply saying, Jesus didn't deal with this issue in his earthly ministry. I don't have record of what Jesus did, but let me give you my inspired apostolic opinion about it. Go to the very end of the text in verse 40. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as he is, as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. I think that Paul's using a bit of sarcasm here. I think I've got the spirit when I'm addressing these things and writing through these things. All right, so go back in your Bible to verse 12. Um, actually, verse, verse 10. Paul says, to the married, I give this charge, uh, not I but the Lord. So Jesus had something to say about this, that the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not uh, divorce his wife. Paul says here that the wife should not separate from her husband. I believe that the word separate here is roughly a synonym for the word divorce. There's several reasons I think that, but uh, down in verses 12 through 15, Paul kind of interchanges the word separate and divorce. To separate is to divorce, to divorce is to separate in this context at this time. And so basically he's saying here that a woman uh, should not separate from her husband, but then if you look in verse 11, there's a parenthesis that's important too. In verse 11, he says, but if she does... Okay, if a believing woman separates or divorces her spouse, she has two options. She should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. I think what Paul is saying here is he's dealing with a real-world scenario. I think foundationally, Paul does not believe that believers should ever initiate divorce. But if indeed a believing woman or believing man does seek the divorce in a real world situation, Paul says she then has two options. And her two options are, number one, she can remain unmarried, or two, she can be reconciled to her former spouse. See that in verse 11? 
And so the particular case I think he's dealing with in verses 10 and 11 is this. You cannot, you cannot attempt to find someone else to marry. Uh, and then, and then uh, you know, divorce your wife so that you can get married to another person. Paul says that's not even an option. Another way of saying that is, you know, seeking an upgrade in spouses, it, that's not an option. The book of uh, the, the law also dealt with this a bit, where it forbid people to get a divorce, go marry a, a second woman, spend some time with the second woman, and then say, you know what, I was really, really in love with my first wife anyway. I'm going to divorce you and go back to my first wife. The, the law forbid that. And in verse 11, I think that that's a particular case that he's dressing with, addressing with the Corinthians. I think some were actually considering, you know, what, what about this? Can, can I go and get, can I get divorced so that I can marry someone else? And Paul says, even if you do that, you've got two options. You remain unmarried, stay single, or you go back to your first spouse. Okay, the second case, and I just want to take just a few moments with you because I think these are important. Uh, case number two is when you are married to an unbeliever, when you're married to an unbeliever. Um, uh, and so I'll just quickly work through this text. Uh, I think that it's best to take verses 12 through 16 in three parts. Paul first gives an answer to their question. What if I'm married to an unbeliever? Should I seek a divorce in that case? I mean, a person doesn't know Christ. Is it possible for me to get divorced? And his answer comes in verses 12 and 13. Look at verse 12. To the rest I say, not I, but the, uh, or I, not the Lord, Paul speaking, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce him. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Here, Jesus did not address this sort of situation, but Paul gives his own apostolic opinion about it. And his answer is, uh, here, you believers should remain married to their spouse even if they're married to an unbeliever. Then in verse 14, he gives them a reason why they should stay in that marriage. And there be many different ways a believer could be married to an unbeliever, but if you find yourself in that sort of marriage, Paul says, let me give you a reason why you need to stay married. Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Paul tells believers to stay committed to their unbelieving spouse because of the opportunities there will be in their lives, the unbelievers' lives, for the advance of the gospel in the lives of their spouse and or their children. It seems to me that some of the Corinthians had holiness concerns. They were afraid that if they remained married to an unbeliever, that it would be defiling to them in some way or another. Perhaps especially if that unbelieving spouse was engaged in a promiscuous lifestyle in the city of Corinth. I mean, what do I do with this unbeliever? Do I remain married and stay in the relationship or not? And so Paul uses this language in verse 14. Paul says that uh, the husband and children are actually 
sanctified. You see that in your Bible? Or they're made holy as the believer stays in the marriage. I mean, isn't that a bit perplexing? What does that mean? Okay, as you're looking at verse 14, that the, the unbeliever is sanctified or made holy by the union with the believer. I think that what he's saying here is that this sanctification, in my opinion, it's not salvific, but it speaks of some sort of advantage, spiritual advantage that these people will have, the unsaved people in the family. They're set apart for the gospel, and thus they'll experience more opportunities to turn to Christ because of the ongoing influence of the believing wife in this situation. So the important point that Paul is making here is that those who are saved while married to an unbeliever may function normally within their marriage without any fear of contamination. Okay? And before I keep advancing here, this is an important point to stop and emphasize with our church. It may be that you find yourself married to an unbeliever, and perhaps you've had questions. You know, should I, should I get out of this relationship? I mean, this person is not in any way pointing me to Christ. If anything, they're a drag. Or I'm concerned, uh, you know, uh, how should I function? Or perhaps you're helping someone like that who's married to an unbeliever, and, and they ask you questions about, you know, is it right or appropriate for me to seek a divorce? I think Paul's answer is, no, remain married to the person. And let me give you a reason. You never know how much your influence will be used by God to see this per- person set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will have a sanctifying effect, perhaps, on your family if you remain in the marriage. So function normally in the marriage, remain committed. And I think there are other texts of scriptures that tell us then how we should behave. First Peter 3, uh, in those sort of marriages. That leads us, in, and I'll just close by, by overviewing verses 15 and 16 with you. I'll say a little bit more next week about them as well. But he gives an exception. Okay, if, if you remember the scenario that he's working through case number two here. What if I'm married to an unbeliever? Should I seek a divorce? There is an exception that he gives in verses 15 and 16. Verse 15 says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, and again, I take that as being synonymous with divorce. If the unbeliever partner separates or divorce, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For you do not know, wife, whether you will save your husband. Or you do not know, husband, whether you will save your wife. Here Paul is talking uh, about a different scenario when a believer is deserted or abandoned by an unbelieving partner. And his, his counsel in this situation, if, if your spouse, who's an unbeliever, goes down to the law courts in Corinth and demands a divorce, what Paul counsels Christians to do in such cases is let them go because God has called you to peace. And then he says in the passage, he says, Uh, you will no longer be enslaved or in bondage to that first marriage. 
Okay, and it's, it's really at this point, I want, I want to take about two or three minutes to kind of uh, give you a, a piece of, of the way I would counsel people through a text like this one. Because this text not only talks about divorce, it, it, it really comes to the brink of dealing with remarriage as well. And, and whether someone has the, the, the opportunity after they've been deserted or abandoned by a spouse to get remarried. What I think is important to understand in this text is two concepts. First of all, uh, many people talk that, about the fact that this passage talks about a desertion clause or scenario that, is, that happens to believers at times. Okay? I think just about any good person who's studying through the scriptures here would say that what, you know, what Paul is saying is if my spouse demands a divorce, I should let him go I'm no longer enslaved to that marriage. Okay, so if I'm deserted, that could be legitimate grounds for the divorce. I have to let it happen, okay? But then the other question that many people come to this text and ask is, because I've been abandoned or deserted, does that mean that I can then get remarried? Okay, and this is where, men and women, good people disagree. Good people really disagree about this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of walk you through. If you came to me and you asked a question, a particular question, you were deserted or abandoned by your spouse, and you want to know, do I have the freedom to get remarried? I would just walk you through this text, and then I would support you in the decision that you make. Because in, in my personal opinion, as you walk through this text, the scriptures don't clearly answer the question. Okay. And so there are two, two different ways people respond to this question. I've been deserted or abandoned. Can I get remarried? Some people say, no, you shouldn't get remarried. Some people will say this. They'll say, well, when remarriage is mentioned in the text, in verse 11, it's, it's forbidden. Okay, that's a different scenario there. That's someone pursuing the divorce. Say, well, the only time remarriage is specifically mentioned, it's forbidden. And then other people uh, will say, well, this seems to be that the point of the whole text in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that Paul is making is that believers should remain as they are. Matter of fact, if we did a word study and you look for the word remain, you will see it over and over and over again in this passage. You'll see it four or five times. So Paul's counsel to a single person is uh, the best counsel that he has to offer them. Now, there are significant reasons why for it later on that we'll, we'll look at, but his counsel to a single person is if you can stand it, remain single as your best option. A little bit later on, he'll say to widows and widowers, if you can, you know, if you find yourself as a widower, Paul's counsel would be to remain as a widower or um, as a widow if you can stand it because of some of the things that are going on in our city and because of the opportunity to be able to focus on Jesus Christ. And so uh, some people will say that if, if, if someone found themselves in a scenario where they were abandoned or deserted, that Paul's counsel would be you should actually just remain unmarried. Okay? But other good people disagree with that. They say uh, not under bondage means freedom, freedom from the marriage. And if I'm free from the marriage, then I'm free to remarry. Or they might even say, you know what, what if you're not gifted for singleness? Then you'll struggle being without a spouse. And Paul's already talked 
about that sort of struggle that some people might face when he gives allowance, in some cases, for people to marry if they're burning. So what I will do, if you come to me, is I'll just walk through uh, this text and others like it and say, you know what, I think good people disagree. If you've been deserted or abandoned, do you have freedom to get remarried? Work through this text and try to figure out exactly what, what you believe in this scripture and I will support you in this. I think it's, it's very important for us to strive not to be dogmatic when the text doesn't appear to be dogmatic. Okay? And so, uh, as we walk through this text, good people disagree about whether not being enslaved, which definitely means no longer enslaved to the first marriage, means you're then free to remarry. And again, I, I could line up a whole host of people who take this differently. And so uh, if any of you would ever come and seek counsel from me, we would just walk through these texts. I'd open up different texts to you on divorce and remarriage. I'd ask you to study your Bible, pursue it, try to understand as best as you can, and then I will support you because I'm just not absolutely personally convinced on this and whether or not there is freedom there or not. Okay. But what is clear is that we must uh, let an insisting, unbelief, unbelieving spouse go because we never know how even this act of love and humility from us might lead them to Christ. And that's how I take verse 16. He says, you let them go because God is a God of peace. And who knows, they might still come to know Jesus Christ. As I close this evening, what I'd like to do is I'd like to close in prayer. Because I know that I, I walk through a lot with you. I know that we went just a little bit longer. We won't have a closing song this evening. But I also realize this. We work through this passage, difficult passage, about different scenarios. And I know that you've all been touched or are being touched by scenarios like this. And so what I'd like to do is just spend a little bit of time here in prayer, praying for you as you work through these. We are text people, right? We're text people. And so I'd encourage you uh, through this prayer to allow the text of Scripture to be your guide. Let's go ahead and stand as I close us in prayer. Father, as we walk through this text this evening, we're thankful for the counsel that Paul the Apostle gave to the Corinthian church. I'm even thankful for some of the questions that they posed to him. I'm thankful for what the, teacher, what the scriptures teach, but then, Father, I'm also minded of the fact that within our own body, we have all been touched by these sort of scenarios in which... I've described this evening. Lord, there are some within our own body who are married to an unbeliever. Perhaps they came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior later in life, and so now they find themselves in a situation where their spouse is not a believer. Lord, I pray that you would minister to them this evening. I pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them and give them grace and comfort. Lord, may they be able to win their spouse through the gospel of Jesus Christ and through their Christ-like 
um, attitudes and actions in the marriage. Might we rejoice, Lord, in hearing how their spouse is converted. I think of of many different uh, women that I've met in the assembly who have unbelieving husbands. Or I pray that you would, would work in the lives of their husbands to draw them to Jesus Christ. The reverse is probably true as well, that we've got husbands with unbelieving wives. And I can think of, of, of just a few of those scenarios, Lord. And I pray that you would move and work, that we might see some of these women saved and converted primarily because of the testimony of their husband. And I pray that the sermon this evening might be encouraging to them, to, to, to believers who married to unbelievers, that they can function normally in their marriage and that they should remain committed to their unbelieving spouse so that you might win their spouse through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, Father, my heart has been grieved even as I've prepared for this sermon and thinking through it about many, even in our own assembly, who have been abandoned or deserted by an unloving, perhaps even unbelieving spouse. Lord, these are not just technical questions and comments that we make tonight. This is not a text that doesn't greatly impact and affect some within our own body. So, Father, I pray that you would give grace and comfort and strength and help to those who've been deserted or abandoned in this life. And, Lord, might you meet all of their needs Might you draw close to them at this time? Lord, if possible, in some of those scenarios, we pray for restoration and reconciliation. We pray that the marriage would be restored. If not possible, Lord, we pray that you would give to those who've been deserted or abandoned by spouses, you give them wisdom. You administer to them and help them. And then, Lord, to, to anyone in the room who finds themselves in a marriage at this point, I pray that you would enable them to be faithful in the marriage that they're in. Remain committed to their spouse, say no to temptation, and find ways to work through any problem, recognizing that we are in this marriage as a representation of Jesus and his love for the church. May we love in that way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.